the Good Enough Mother podcast. I'm your host, Sophie, a sociologist and a mother, and my mission is to change how motherhood is culturally defined and individually experienced. I want women who are mothers to feel supported, empowered, held, revered, and respected. I have discussions here with experts and changemakers who want to expand the conversation that we're having about motherhood. You're listening to episode number 63, when productivity in motherhood is linked to our worthiness. This solo episode is me reflecting on these connections. I pose some thoughts here in this episode that aren't fully finished and developed, but I'm sharing with you my thinking patterns and processes that I've been engaging in over the last month or so. You can probably hear in my voice, I have been a little unwell. So thank you for bearing with me throughout this episode. I am reflecting on all of the ways that our socialization into the perfect mother myth and that broader fish tank of motherhood, the tank that we live within as mothers has shaped the way we've internalized our own beliefs around where our value comes from, what is productive, what is our worthiness connected to, and where does that drive from? And so I'm challenging some of these connections. And so I'm being, I'm trying to be disruptive without being confronting. (laughs) And I am trying to be thought provoking without being too provocative. Um, So take from this episode what you will. I hope that it's intriguing and interesting and is thought provoking for you. If you would like to dive into any of this work further, I've just finished in my Liberated Motherhood membership, our month mini course on unmasking motherhood. And we're about to dive into our next course for August, which is the transformation of martyrdom mothering. Really excited for this course. We're going into why rejecting martyrdom motherhood isn't equivalent to rejecting responsivity with our children. I think there are a lot of misconceptions around what it means to move away from patriarchal motherhood and embracing of empowered mothering practices. And so this course is part of how I'm helping, hopefully, to traverse this experience and how to navigate a reclaiming of our motherhood while prioritizing and holding the truth and value and importance of the mothering work that we do of our children. So if you would like to engage in that course live, or you want to jump into unmasking motherhood from last month, head to the show notes to sign up to the membership. It's $10 to try out for a month and $44 a month thereafter. I hope you enjoy this episode. So something that's been on my mind for the last month or so in the context of been sick. Thankfully not with COVID. Sydney is still in a lockdown right now, but I have been struggling a bit with a sore throat, a cough, feeling really tired and not being able to shake it. And so I've been reflecting on both my role as a mom, as a single mom in this context and how to cultivate and best use my support system in the ways that I'm able to how I've shown up for my work, how I've run my programs, my groups. And I've been thinking about the relationship between our identities, our work, our role as mothers, the relationship that we have with our children and what it is that is our passion and what lights us up. And some of us, myself included, are fortunate enough to be able to say that our work that we do for an income is the same thing that is what 
lights us up. That is what we are passionate about. And I am so grateful to be doing work like this in the world. But for others of us, those things look different. But particularly as those of us who are mothers, what is deemed to be work or not can be really tricky because oftentimes the things that we're not actually paid for are the things which require a lot of emotional and physical labor from us in terms of raising our children and taking on the majority of the domestic load, which we know falls mostly on the shoulders of women, of mothers. And so what I'm curious about is the messaging that we can receive and also that we, you know, myself included, try and embrace around the importance of taking rest, of taking time out, of having leisure and that old kind of analogy of you can't fill from an empty cup. You need to put your oxygen mask on first before you tend to others. And so I want to kind of unpack that a little bit in the context of this conversation and the reflections I've been having around the links between productivity, busyness, our worth, the perfect mother myth, and adding, I hope to add some voice to the complexity of this. Because first off, yes, let's interrogate the link that has been made between our value and our productivity and our worth. So this is not just in motherhood, but beyond motherhood, looking at our society more broadly as it's shaped by, you know, capitalism, neoliberalism, individualization, concepts that I talk about quite a lot within the context of my my courses and my work. But in brief summary, it's the ways that we are quite focused in our society and culture on individualism, of the individual being able to pull themselves up, work hard, achieve, kind of climb the ladder of success, climb that mountain of success. And this is what makes mothering really difficult in this context, because mothering is an inherently interdependent relationship where you have dependents, you have children relying on you for care and support and and to support them to grow into human beings. And we also rely on them in specific ways as well. I think it's important to highlight the dynamic of interdependence there that exists as well. But in this context of a society in which we have particular values around what we can measure, around outputs, around outcomes, around criteria and check boxes and being able to tick things off our list, that is part of what makes mothering really difficult and so often devalued because a lot of the work that goes into caregiving and work that goes into running a household, particularly if we're thinking about domestic work, it's constantly undone, right? Like this is why housework and the work in the home, it never ends because you get it done and then it needs to start all over again. And that's what can make it really difficult when somebody says to you, when you've been in the home all day and looking after children and the running of a household, you know, what is it that you've done today? And um, that question can feel so insulting, but also so difficult to answer in a quantifiable, measurable way, because we don't necessarily have the outcomes to show somebody visibly in the ways that we do when we're in a paid workplace. And when we are able to tick things off a to-do list and someone else is able to measure that accordingly. So this is part of why there can so often feel like a tension between ourselves as workers and as productive workers and citizens and employees or business owners and as mothers. 
And it's also why mothering, as I mentioned before, is so often devalued, is part of the reason why here. And we see this playing out in beyond motherhood, right, around this almost addiction to busyness or this sense of wanting to be productive and wanting to be the one who is most overwhelmed, who has the most on their plate. And there's almost like competition sometimes around who is the most stressed and stretched. And I think that this plays out in motherhood as well. And the reason why I think this plays out and it can play out in an intensified way is actually because of the perfect mother myth. And I want to explain why. So as part of the perfect mother myth, which means the way being a mother is set up in our culture and our society. So certain expectations that come along with what it means to be a good mum. Part of that means that we are constantly serving others. We're supposed to constantly serve others, right? And we're supposed to do it willingly. We're supposed to do it because that's how we are intuitively driven, because that's what we desire and that's what we want to do. So we're not only do it all, run the household, look after the children, check in on our friends, keep on top of everything, including self-care. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in this episode. But not only do we do all of it, but we do it with a smile. We do it willingly, but we also do it until we're at our absolute capacity. So we try our very, very best. We give it our all because that is part of what we've been led to believe means we are a good mother that we give our all to our children, that we do it all and we do it willingly. We do it without complaint. And so the perfect mother myth actually sets us up for burnout. It sets us up for exhaustion. It sets us up for depletion. Because if we are asked to stretch to our absolute limits in order to prove the love that we have for our children, then we are going to do that. If that's what it takes to try and be a good mother, if that's what it takes to try and give our children the best of the best, which all of us want to be able to offer to our children, then we push ourselves beyond the limits we thought we had. And just because we can do something doesn't mean we ought to do something. And I also want to interrogate the belief here that we've been often internalized and have been socialized into that actually that is what serves our kids that actually being stretched and being at capacity and doing it all is what is best for our children. I don't think it is. I think it's actually the opposite. But what can happen is that when we are at this place of doing it all, not only because we're expected to, not only because we can, but also because if we don't, then who else is going to then what it can do is also lead to a place of resentment and anger and guilt. It's all intertwined. And so we can tell ourselves that this is the sacrifice that we make for the sake of our children, that this is part of what it means to be a mother, that this is just what it means to be a mum. So suck it up, stop complaining. Others have it worse. You should be grateful, right? We try and gratitude over our complaints and we shame ourselves into some type of submission to the perfect mother myth then what it can do is that as a reaction to that, there will be parts of ourselves that are not being tended to, that are not being heard, that are not being seen or felt or validated or recognized or held that rise up in opposition to that. And that resentment and the simmering of that resentment is what leads way to that rising up. And that rising up will often look like anger. 
And this is why when we tell ourselves that we're sacrificing for the sake of our children, what we can also be doing inadvertently is asking our children to carry the weight of our discontent. Because if we're denying ourselves rest, if we're denying ourselves the articulation of our desires and our wants, and we're asking ourselves to be pushed to the limit in order to serve our children, then when we feel the depletion, when we feel the burnout, when we feel the exhaustion, that can be seen as almost the responsibility of our children. That they have pushed us to the edge, that actually in our trying to prove our love for them and to do the best that we can as mothers, according to the perfect mother myth, that has led us to this place. And so what I'm saying here is that sometimes when we're feeling the exhaustion and the depletion and the burnout of motherhood, it can be linked to the mother in. We can say it's because we feel like we have these endless demands placed on us. It's because we're go, go, go. We're doing all of the time for our children. And that relationship there in linking our depletion with our mother in can, as I said, inadvertently, I'm not saying we're doing this deliberately. And when I say where, I I mean where, including myself in this, that we can look at our children as the cause of this. And that can unintentionally lead to a disconnect in our relationship, um, which can actually further fuel resentment and conflict and make mothering harder, which means we become even more burnt out and depleted. And so what I would like to pose for us to reflect on is that actually perhaps it's motherhood, perhaps it's the social and cultural context that we're mothering within the fish tank in the way that I conceptualize it. Maybe it's actually the fish tank of motherhood, the myth of martyrdom motherhood, the belief that we've been led to internalize and that we've been socialized into, that we prove how good we are through how much of ourselves we give away. Maybe it's that that is leading to the burnout and the depletion. Maybe it's actually the lack of support that we are having to deal with, not only in the context of modern motherhood, but in the context of the pandemic as well. Maybe it's actually that that is the cause and at the root of our depletion and exhaustion and burnout. So if we take that for what it is, and if we consider, okay, let's reflect on the ways our context has shaped the struggle, perhaps that we've felt in our motherhood, a sense of depletion or exhaustion which is exacerbated by all of the other demands, role demands that we face, maybe of a partner, of being an employee, being a friend, a daughter, whatever else, whatever other roles you identify with. But if we were to consider and shift our focus away from examining the mother in the relationship and the doing work of being a mother into the motherhood, onto the social structure and context, What we can then do is go, okay, how have we internalized those beliefs? How have we internalized the perfect mother myth and martyrdom motherhood? Because that how is how we regain our power. So think about this in the context of the fish tank. You're the fish inside of the tank and we're doing our mothering work inside the tank. And right now I'm asking you to shift focus away from that mothering work and onto the tank itself. And we will look around at our structures and we were to go, okay, I understand all of the expectations that are placed on me in order for me to qualify as a good mum to others. I understand the ways that martyrdom motherhood is set up to ask us to sacrifice ourselves constantly and constantly give and in some ways suffer in order to prove the love we have for our children and our families. How can I now 
examine the way I have personally as an individual internalized and taken on those beliefs that I've been socialized into. Because once we start to do that, we can then regain our power by almost, I'm thinking of it as like a fracturing even, like a revealing of the way we've internalized these beliefs and then going, hang on a second, let me examine how much these beliefs are serving me or depleting me and what can I do, what is within my power right now to shift and change so that I change my experience of being a mother. There is only so far we go with this. Obviously, we cannot change the fish tank itself. We cannot change the social context that we're mothering within. Let's hope that we can collectively. And this is one of the main motivations of me creating this podcast and, and my entire business is to try and contribute to this change more broadly. But as individuals, okay, what can we do to actually take back our power and our agency by recognizing how we've internalized these particular beliefs? And what I mean by that, to pull this out perhaps a little bit more tangibly, is to look at the ways that we have linked our sacrifice, our busyness and our productivity as women, as individuals, as mothers with our worthiness, with our value. So if we were to think about actually taking a rest, taking time out, not finishing the to-do list, not struggling even, what would that mean for our sense of self and identity? Are we worthy of rest? And I don't know if you've had this experience, I certainly have, when you have had the opportunity to have time out or you've had the opportunity to take a rest or take a nap or whatever it may be that feels rejuvenating for you. And you can almost feel stressed by that possibility. And this conversation's happened in my membership before when we've spoken about, okay, you have somebody has helped out and is looking after your kids for two hours. What do you do with that two hours? It's almost a frantic sense of how am I going to best use every minute of this time so that it is not time wasted. A couple of things here that I would say in response to that is one, it's reflective of the ways that we've internalized our value with our productivity and our output. So how much can I get done in order to be able to satisfy a sense of enoughness to prove my enoughness, whether this be to others or whether it just be to ourselves. But the other part of this is that actually there is a lot to get done. And part of the stress that we feel is because in very tangible and practical ways, if we don't do it, who else is going to? And so potentially part of us being able to shift this narrative and the connection that we may have made between our busyness and our productivity and our worth and value is to firstly recognize we probably won't be able to get it all done, no matter how much time we have, whether it's the two hours or whether it would be 20 hours, because part of the nature of mothering and part of the nature, I think, of many professions, not all, is that often the more that you do, the more work you create for yourself in some ways, right? The more kind of successful you are in inverted commas, the more opportunities may come your way. So there is a whole conversation to be had of actually how much are we able to get through that will ever be enough, but also where are our desires leading us? 
And how can us being able to embrace or get comfortable with serving or meeting those desires, whether they be for getting through at least half of our to-do list, because that's what's actually going to relieve our stress, or whether it's in going to take a 20-minute nap, or whether it's in going to take a walk and do some exercise or journal or whatever it may be, how can actually the connection with ourselves and what we want be part of what helps alleviate the broader picture stress of being the one to do it all. So in other words, there are absolutely things that we have to get done in order to run our household, to engage in our work, to run our businesses, to look after our children that we can't just step away from. We can't just drop off our to-do list. Certainly there are some things we can, but we can actually get through more and have it feel more fulfilling and engage with these tasks with more intention and therefore feel a greater sense of reward when we engage with them or complete them based on how we have been honoured, seen, held and had our own needs and desires served first. But there's almost a block in us being able to do that when we haven't interrogated the relationship that we have with productivity leading to and giving us our value and sense of worth. And it can almost provoke a shame spiral in some ways when we engage in behaviors or we don't fulfill the shoulds that we've placed on us. We can feel as though we've wasted time. We can fill space with scrolling on Instagram, looking through social media, filling space, being propelled by the desire of seeking and searching without being able to actually ask ourselves what it is we're looking for. And what it is that we are afraid of if we were to leave that space unfilled. Because sometimes that's actually what is going to be the conduit to our connection with ourselves which is the thing that I want us to come back to constantly in having conversations like this and thinking about our relationship to our work and productivity and rest and mothering and how we lead our lives. Because we can do two of the same exact actions filled with different intention and desire that leads to completely different outcomes. Sometimes it feels really enlivening and restorative and fulfilling to listen to a podcast while making dinner, while mothering the kids. Sometimes that exact act can feel completely overwhelming and stressful and the juggling and the multitasking actually just leads to fractured focus and feels like we're being pulled in a million different directions and we can't actually enjoy or in quotes do a good enough job of any of it. So those are the two two same scenarios, the two same acts But when they are being led by two different intentions, they lead to two different outcomes. And one is the intention to follow our desires, to do something that feels uh, rewarding and fulfilling. And one is doing something that is perhaps a should. You know, we should be using this time productively. We should be learning something new. We should be working on ourselves. And this is why I like to think about rest. And again, rest does not necessarily mean lying down for a nap. Rest can look like lots of different things. And I think we can engage in this type of rest while we are mothering. Rest is some space, 
right? And it's why the creation and the protecting of space, including our mental space, can be and is part of how we resist patriarchal motherhood. It is part of how we resist the perfect mother myth. Because what happens when we get still? What happens when we do create or protect some space for us? Often what happens is it's followed with guilt. And this is why we can feel as though we can never so-called win as mothers because we do it all and we're burnt out and depleted. We can't win that way. And then we take a break or we step back or we try and shift things or we try and put our needs first and we're left with guilt that we're not being a good enough mother or that we're selfish or whatever other narrative that our inner critic wants to give us. And something, the way that I frame guilt in this context is to see it as your inner guard, the little voice on your shoulder that is the voice of the shoulds that is the voice of the external that is the voice of the perfect mother myth that's the voice of our socialization that voice comes from social pressure rather than our inner selves and so being able to distance and almost separate those shoulding voices that inner critic that may come up and erupt as a response to us trying to serve our needs and listen to what it is that we want to see that as almost a positive in that we are going through the process of detoxing from the socialization of the perfect mother myth, because that guilt, the inner guard pops up to try and keep us in line, to try and pull us back into compliance with the broader myths and narratives that we've been fed around what it means to be a good mother. And the other thing that can happen alongside or or separate to guilt when we do create space to connect with ourselves and ask ourselves what it is that we actually value and want in our motherhood is fear. Actually, it can be really scary to sit in stillness. It can be scary to create space. It can be scary to ask ourselves what it is we're searching for and put our phones down. Because what's our busyness allowing us to avoid? When we're used to orienting ourselves through chaos and stress, it can feel really disorienting to be asked to have the self as the tool for navigation rather than the other, rather than the outer. There's a quote from Glennon Doyle that I wanted to share here. I think I heard this in a podcast and she says, the only people who are living authentically and truly are people who allow the snow to settle and deal with what they can see in the center of their lives and their relationships and their communities and their work and the world. So I think there's great opportunity in this forced stillness. She was talking about the context of lockdown there, I think. So for us to think about actually the courage that it can take to be with ourselves And to look inside of us and to reorient to us when we have been trained and we live within contexts that expect us to look outside of ourselves for answers, that expect us to look outside of ourselves for our work, that expect us to accumulate more, do more and be more in order to be enough. And this is part of why I would like us to rethink the example we use about making sure our own cup is filled in order to fill others cups and making sure our oxygen mask is on before we tend to others. Not saying that there's not value in 
those descriptions. And I think that there's truth in them in that we actually can't serve others when we're completely depleted. Although I think actually we do. It's just, there's only so long we can run that narrative before the last thread connecting us kind of snaps. But the reason why I think it's valuable for us to rethink those examples is because both orient to the other. So we are allowed to put our oxygen mask on because we need to in order to give the oxygen mask to the other. We're allowed to fill our own cup because that's how we serve others. We're allowed to give to the self because that's how we give to others. We're allowed to focus on the self because that's what allows us to continue to mother. All of these things, again, I think they're true and they're important for us to recognize and grasp, but also we are worthy in and of ourselves. Our worthiness doesn't come through how we serve the other. Our value isn't earned through how many other cups we can fill. Because yes, it can help alleviate some of the guilt and it can help to practically advocate for ourselves as well in tending to ourselves and looking after ourselves to think about self-care, I suppose, in this way. But I think something that's actually, well, is definitely more radical, but has a greater transformative potential is to completely change the paradigm altogether and say that actually I am worthy and deserving and enough as I am. And it is from this place of fullness, it is from this place of self-fulfillment that I then tend to and care for others from a place of overflowing and abundance rather than from a place of duty and subservience. And so while the act may look the same and the doing of the mothering may look the same when it's driven from a place of different intention, when it's performed in a different paradigm, when the fish tank, the context changes, that changes how we experience our lives and our mothering. So I'm trying to disrupt here both the broader cultural narrative of martyrdom motherhood and disrupt the narrative of self that we may have internalized from that narrative. Our self story, attaching our worth to our status of good mother, to our capacity for productivity. But I recognize too that that disruption, when it happens inside the fish tank of motherhood that we're living within still, it can feel uh, really disorienting potentially. And so I wanna suggest something that I've used Um, that has been really useful as a reframing in how to change our relationship to these narratives and stories while still almost being able to plug into them sometimes. And that is through actually recognizing that stepping back, reorienting to self, potentially sometimes doing less and using little pockets of time or slices of time that we may have, whether they're one minute in the bathroom alone or whether there are two hours is to say that those little slices is what can expand time in other areas of our lives. So we can do more with less 
when we have been more intentional and thoughtful about how we are using our time and what intention is driving our actions. And the research has supported this in terms of the condensing and reducing of hours that we spend working. I say working as in paid work. It's looking at paid work and employment, this literature say that we're able to work more effectively when we do so. So sometimes in order to get more work done, let's have less time to do it in because we then become more efficient. And this is actually why, as a side note here, I think that mothering is part of our power and the growth of our skill set in the workforce in that mothers are and can be incredibly efficient workers because we often have less time to do our work in because we're trying to do it alongside mothering as a side note there. But What has been useful for me to reflect on in how I navigate all this and how I've been doing so in the last month, particularly while not very well, is to know that actually the breaks that we have is part of how we remain productive, that actually integral to creation is rest and that there are no missed opportunities that we don't actually have as much power as we think we do over what we produce and do and create and offer. And that coming back to ourselves and that reorientation to self rather than the outer and the other and trying to, where we can take agency over that to-do list rather than let it run us, that requires a lot of self-trust. It requires being comfortable with failure. It requires sometimes letting go of certain expectations or shifting priorities. It certainly, I think, requires a detoxing from perfectionism. But the thing here, which I have been trying to write about, but I can't quite find the words, is to say, I think we can hold both. So I think that we can say rest is important Doing nothing can be productive. Stepping back is how we create space to actually level up. That part of our growth also requires our retreat. But I also think there's something to be said alongside that narrative and the embracing of it is that persistence is valuable and that through the everyday in our mothering and in our work, and in our creative development or exploration, it's through the everyday that it's built. And so I think persistence is different to consistency, that tenacity isn't necessarily in conflict with rest, and that excellence also isn't in opposition to good enough. Because what can happen, and I've seen this play out in a a mentoring program I'm running at the moment for motherhood creators, is that sometimes when we know that we need to step back and we know that we need to prioritize rest and we're feeling like we're on the edge of burnout or a sickness or whatever it may be, we can feel as though we need to take time out from the thing that lights us up and that drives us, that is our passion, because we should be doing less. We feel we need to dial things down and dial them back. And when we connect in with our desires, we reorient to self, we can then judge and shame those parts of ourselves because we're not fitting into the narrative of relaxation or rejuvenation or being still. 
And I think that this plays out in our mothering as well, when many actually don't have the capacity to do the traditional self-care practices because of whatever reasons, oftentimes lack of support externally. So it's to say that, again, reiterating what I've said earlier in this episode, the actual act, the actual doing, I don't think is as important as the connection with self, the connection with your intention of what's driving you, of what it is that you want, of what it is that is lighting you up, of what it is that you are finding restorative, which may look completely different to how another experiences restoration. And that we can frame the serving of ourselves and our desires and taking time out if that's what that looks like or stepping back if that's what it looks like or diving into writing or exercising or painting with our kids or whatever it is that we're being led to moment to moment, day to day, that's part of our work as women and as mothers. That's how we reframe what work means, not as a neoliberal and capitalist offering, not as our suffering, but as our self-growth, as our replenishment, as our enjoyment, as our fulfillment. So it's taking that paradigm of productivity and accumulation and it's flipping it. We can draw on the same language, but we can attach new meaning. We can have it work for us to come back to us. And how we do that is keeping an internal barometer of our capacity. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we ought to do it. Just because we're being pressured to do something doesn't mean we have to succumb to that or reject it. We can't find the answers externally to us, but what we can do is reorient to ourselves so that we can deal with the external in a way that feels intentional, authentic and manageable. And that time out from the external and connecting with us and ourselves allows us to come into the present. When we shift our beliefs and our attachment to productivity, what we can do is shift our awareness back to self, create opportunities for openings of self-awareness. This deepens our connection to ourselves, to the present moment. And that is a giving to our children, to ourselves, and it's an expanding of our lives. Because if we're constantly living in anticipation of the future, if we're constantly looking at what it is that needs to be done, then we're constantly living in moments ahead of us, which means we're never fully in the present moment, which is where our lives are actually occurring, right? So the more that we can connect with ourselves, know ourselves, honor ourselves, the more that we can live our lives in a rich, authentic and wholehearted way, however that may look for you in your individual life. And that is part of your mothering, yes, but it's not in service to your mothering. It's an honoring of yourself first, which then is part of what you do as a mother. I'd love to hear your reflections on this episode. Feel free to message me on Instagram at Dr. Sophie Brock. Or email me info at drsophiebrock.com. I hope that you can find slices or a space in your own day as you listen to this to connect in with yourself. And if you found this episode valuable or interesting or any of the other episodes on my podcast, I would really, really appreciate it if you were to take a couple of minutes to leave the podcast a review 
on whatever platform you're listening on so I can get this out to more listeners. Thank you so much for your time and for being here with me. Hope you've resonated with something from today's episode. If you're a mother who would like to take these conversations further, consider joining my private membership group, Liberated Motherhood. Or if you're somebody who works with mothers, then check out my Motherhood Studies Practitioner Certification. You can find more details about these at my website and reach out and connect at drsophiebrock.com. 